Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, Israel says it killed three hostages by accident. And America's national security advisor is in the West Bank today as Israel opens a major border crossing with Gaza for the first time since the attacks by Hamas. A Ukrainian member of parliament detonates hand grenades during a council meeting in western Ukraine. We have the shocking footage. The White House and the Senate racing to reach a deal over Ukraine aid and border policies. And the latest on the impeachment inquiry as a GOP senator warns that Biden may be hard to impeach. Iris Tau in D.C. Rudy Giuliani has to pay almost $150 million over claims of election fraud. See how the former Trump attorney reacts to his latest verdict. Former President Trump is on a mission to beat President Biden. He says it will take a united effort from the Republican Party, but he also has his own strategies. Arlene Richards checks in on his campaign. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City. Here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. Israeli troops say they accidentally killed three hostages. This amid the U.S. National Security Advisor's visit to the West Bank today. Jake Sullivan meets with the president of the Palestinian Authority. NTD's Arian Pastar has an update on the war and a warning, some of the footage in this report is graphic. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan continued his Middle East trip on Friday. He met with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. Abbas reportedly told Sullivan that the U.S. should stop Israel's alleged aggression in the West Bank. Meanwhile, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is set to return to the Middle East next week. It will be his second trip since the October 7th attacks. Now also on Friday, the Israeli military announced that its soldiers accidentally killed three hostages. That's after mistakenly identifying them as a threat. Now, after opening fire, the soldiers took the three individuals to a medical center, where it was determined that they're actually Israeli citizens. The IDF issued a statement saying immediate lessons from the event have been learned, which have been passed on to all IDF troops in the field. The IDF expresses deep remorse over the tragic incident. And Israel announced it will reopen a major border crossing between Israel and the Gaza Strip. The WHO on Friday welcoming the decision. And that's, of course, very good news. So I think it's good news. Israel is opening the Karim Shalom crossing to keep its promise to allow 208 trucks into Gaza per day. The Rafah crossing with Egypt can only handle 100 trucks per day. And lastly, Israel's military on Friday published footage of an apparent trap set by Hamas. They allegedly used dolls with speakers playing sounds of children crying in Hebrew. That's to bait soldiers into an area filled with explosives. We have children's dolls meant to draw us in. There are children's backpacks, school bags. The goal is to draw us in to look for those things. Here are speakers playing children's songs. The soldiers said that besides explosives, there were terrorists aiming at the area to open fire once soldiers arrived. Arian Pastar, NTD News. A Ukrainian politician detonated multiple grenades at a local council meeting. That's according to national police. Just a warning, the video you're about to see shows the explosions in a room full of people. 
It was caught on the live stream of a meeting of a governing council in western Ukraine. A man walks into the meeting, takes out what looks like multiple flashbang grenades from his pockets, pulls the pins and throws them on the floor. As you see, they explode seconds later, injuring 26 people. Six of those hurt are fighting for their lives. The Ukrainian National Police are trying to determine the motive. The suspect is a member of Ukraine's parliament. The White House appears willing to tighten border policies in exchange for more Ukraine aid. That's as a GOP senator gives a warning about Biden's impeachment inquiry. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao has more. The White House and Senate negotiators are racing right now to try to get a deal over a compromise for Ukraine aid and stricter border policies. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was on the Hill today for talks, and that says Republicans are demanding that if the White House wants to see a $60 billion package for Ukraine passed, it needs to make real changes to the U.S. southern border. The White House, while signaling that it is willing to make compromises, is also criticizing House Republicans for going home, going into recess, while negotiations are still ongoing. Watch. They're heading home for the holidays, while Ukrainians are heading right back into the fight. They need our help, and they need it right now, not after the eggnog. Negotiations are expected to continue over the weekend as the Senate, which is coming back next Monday, hopes to hold a vote on the supplemental package next week. And when it comes to the impeachment inquiry into President Biden, House Republicans are sounding pretty confident they're going to use that extra power that authorizing the impeachment inquiry gives them to summon more witnesses and demand more documents for their investigation. But Republican Senator Mullen today issued a warning saying that President Biden might not be impeachable for his actions before he got elected in 2020. Or it has to be committed while he was in office, the current office he holds. So what he did as a vice president, what he did in between the two um, may not be impeachable. House Republicans' ongoing investigation into President Biden mainly focuses on events that took place between 2014 and 2017, which is when Joe Biden was the vice president and shortly after he left office. But Senator Mullen also notes that if it is proven that President Biden used his office to benefit himself or gain favors from other countries, it might still be an impeachable offense. Back to you. The verdict is out in former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani's defamation trial. Giuliani must pay $148 million in damages. Andrea Shea Moss and her mother Ruby Freeman were two election workers in Fulton County, Georgia. They sued Giuliani for defamation. This was over his claim that they helped rig the 2020 election against former President Trump. After the judge found Giuliani liable, an eight-member jury in Washington, D.C. deliberated the case for one and a half days. They just ordered that Giuliani must pay $148 million. The election workers had asked for at least $24 million each. They said they faced threats and personal attacks because of his claims of election fraud. Coming out of the court, Giuliani said he plans to appeal the decision. Key players in former President Trump's legal cases are taking action. Here's the latest from the federal elections case and from Georgia. Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik on Friday filed an ethics complaint against a federal judge in D.C. who oversees various cases related to January 6th and former President Trump. 
Stefanik's complaint centers on comments that Judge Beryl Howell made. Last month, the judge suggested in one of her speeches that reelecting Trump will lead to fascism in America. The congresswoman called this a highly inappropriate political speech, as well as election interference. Howell has issued rulings against a number of January 6th defendants and supervised special counsel Jack Smith's indictment of Trump. Over to Trump's Georgia election case, one of the co-defendants in that case is former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. An 11th Circuit Court of Appeals panel heard arguments on Friday regarding his attempt to move his case from state to federal court. Meadows is trying to have the case dismissed in federal court under a federal immunity defense. His attorney argued that not allowing former officials to remove their case to federal court would create a chilling effect. That is, it could open former judges or former lawmakers to immediate prosecution once they leave office in states where their policies were unpopular. Another two co-defendants in the case are Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbro. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution just obtained their apology letters through a public records request. The letters were just one sentence each and written in October. Powell wrote, I apologize for my actions in connection with the events in Coffee County. She and Chesbro have pleaded guilty in the Georgia election case. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis expects more defendants to take plea deals before the trial begins. In a recent interview with the Associated Press, Willis said, It's whittled down now to a size we can try, but I don't know that all 15 will be at the table once they get through the process. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Former President Trump is serious about beating President Biden. He's calling on the Republican Party to unite. And he has a strategy to get unlikely voters to vote. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. With the Iowa caucus coming up in 31 days, former President Trump is asking the Republican Party to unite. And we have a man that is grossly incompetent as our chief negotiator, that's Biden. And we can't have this. We can't have this. You'll end up in World War III. It's time for the Republican Party to unite, to come together and focus our energy and resources on beating crooked Joe Biden and taking back our country. Very simple. Trump is the overwhelming favorite to win Iowa, even though he spent less time campaigning there than his GOP opponents. And despite all the money spent on legal battles, he's managed to find an economical way to promote his campaign. The latest Trump strategy doesn't require campaigning in all of Iowa's 99 counties or spending millions of dollars. All it takes is an appearance at major sporting events in early voting states. His aides say the appearances put him in front of potential voters who may not closely follow politics, and it helps him to expand his appeal with young people and minority voters. And while he's strongly focused on defeating President Biden, Biden is working on his own strategy. He's teamed up with former President Obama on a new video aimed at protecting Obamacare. Hey, President Biden, is Obamacare still a thing? Is it still a thing? Yes. The White House released the video short on Friday. Republican efforts to repeal Obamacare have repeatedly failed. But Trump says Republicans should never give up. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Coming up, China slapping a bounty of over $100,000 on a U.S. citizen. 
Why is she on the CCP wanted list? Include gender-neutral toys or face a fine. That's what will soon happen to retail stores in California as a new state law takes effect in January. That and more after the break. Welcome back. A 23-year-old U.S. citizen now on the Chinese Communist Party's wanted list. Hong Kong authorities slapped a bounty of over $100,000 on Joey Xu, plus four other activists. NTD's David Lam has the story. Hong Kong police's wanted list increased by five more people on Thursday. It's part of a crackdown on dissent under a China-imposed national security law. It added Simon Chung, Francis Hui, Joey Siu, Johnny Falk, and Tony Choi, who are now based in various countries, including the United States and Britain. Hong Kong authorities issued bounties of one million Hong Kong dollars, or just shy of 130,000 U.S. dollars, on each of them. One of the targets is U.S. citizen Joey Siu, who's an activist based in Washington, D.C. She said she is exercising her freedoms in her own country and will not back down. And Francis Hui said on Hudson Institute, Through my decade-long activism, I have witnessed and experienced the extent of the CCP's harassment and intimidation of people who hold different views of them. Activist Simon Chung said it's a lifelong honor to be hunted by China's secret police. Beijing imposed the national security law on the Asian financial hub in 2020 after months of anti-government protests. The Hong Kong government's recent move draws criticism from the U.S. and U.K. Uh, we deplore any attempt uh, to apply the Beijing-imposed national security law extraterritorially and reiterate that Hong Kong authorities have no jurisdiction within United States borders where the advocates for democracy and freedom will continue to enjoy their constitutionally guaranteed uh, freedoms and rights. British Foreign Secretary David Cameron said he will not tolerate any attempt by any foreign power to intimidate, harass or harm individuals in the UK, saying it's a threat to democracy and human rights. Activists were accused of various offenses, including promoting secession. There are now eight overseas activists on the list since July, deemed as fugitives. David Lamb, NTD News. As the new year approaches, so do new laws. California will soon require large retailers to carry gender-neutral toys or they will be fined. NTD's Eileen Eng has more. Under a new California law that takes effect in a few weeks, large retailers will need to have a gender-neutral toy section or face fines. Governor Gavin Newsom signed the law in 2021 and takes effect on January 1st. Department stores with 500 or more employees in California that sell children's products are required to include a gender-neutral area in the store. Those who fail to comply with the law will be fined up to $250 for the first violation or $500 for the subsequent violation. The bill's author, Assemblyman Evan Lowe, said the move allows parents and children to have freedom of self-expression. But Yvette Corcoran, running against Senator Scott Weiner, says this will confuse children. This is an indoctrination. We don't express ourselves with our genitalia. And we especially don't want to 
our children to be expressing themselves with their genitalia. That should just be something that is irrelevant. As they learn to read, write, be kind to one another, love one another. The bill specifies that the law applies to products regardless of whether they have been traditionally marketed for either girls or for boys. And I just think it's a really silly thing. It's a waste of taxpayer money. And there's no reason that we can't have separate aisles because for the most part, the boys love the boys stuff, the cars and the guns, and the girls love the dolls and stuff. And I know there's exceptions to that, and that's totally okay. And they can play with whatever toys they want. But to try to make it all gender neutral and combine it is just silly. Opponents also argue that it would interfere with the free market economy and would be government overreach. But the Consumer Federation of California believes that such a change could potentially help reduce price disparities between products marketed toward boys and girls. Parents need to stop being afraid. They need to stop going along to get along. And they need to be parents and protect their children. Because if they don't, who will? And that child has very little chance in life. California has become the first state in the nation to adopt a bill of this kind after similar legislation failed in 2019 and 2020. The initial autopsy report is out for friend star Matthew Perry. The Los Angeles Medical Examiner's Office said that the actor died from, quote, the acute effects of ketamine. The report added that drowning and coronary artery disease also contributed to his passing. Perry had a decades-long history of alcoholism and drug use. He was found dead in a hot tub at his Los Angeles home on October 28th. Perry was 54 years old. New York City is a popular destination for movie buffs because so many blockbusters are filmed right here in the Big Apple. NTD's Kevin Hogan takes us on a tour of some of those spots. Lights, camera, action. We're about to tour the setting of some movies on the big screen filmed in the Big Apple, which ranks second on the list of cities in the world with the most number of movies filmed in it at a staggering 395,000. Let's check it out. King Kong climbed the Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building was damaged in Godzilla's rampage of Manhattan, and the Brooklyn Bridge provides an iconic backdrop in I Am Legend featuring Will Smith. So why is it that New York City attracts the cinema? A guide with on-location tours tells us. It holds a lot of hopes and dreams for a lot of people, and I think it comes to symbolize so much for so many people. And I think it's such a versatile city. There is a neighborhood, there is a building, there is an area for everybody. No matter who you are or what walk of life you're from, there's a place for you here. And so wherever you go, if you want to film a story, if you have a story to tell, there's a place in New York to tell it. Trump Tower served as the surrogate for Wayne Enterprises in The Dark Knight Rises. Speaking of former President Donald Trump, he appeared in Home Alone 2 when Macaulay Culkin asked him for directions to the Plaza Hotel that Trump owned at the time. I quite like hearing about Donald Trump owning the building and getting a cameo in it just because he owns the building. It's quite fascinating to see what happens in, in that kind of behind the scenes things that we don't see on the TV. 
and St. Patrick's Cathedral appears in the background as Tobey Maguire drops off the rescued MJ and Spider-Man. That's the flick in which none other than the Flatiron Building houses the fictional tabloid newspaper, The Daily Bugle. Uh, the favorite part uh, of the tour are the spots of this uh, Marvel um, uh, movies because we are big fans of all these Marvel movies, uh, the Spider-Man details and so on, yeah. And the Flatiron Building made an appearance in Mr. Popper's Penguins with Jim Carrey, too. But of all the locations in the world, Central Park tops the list for the site with the most movies filming scenes there. When Harry met Sally, all those. So hopefully we'll recognize a couple of the things here. But I mean, New York is just so iconic. I mean, there's just so many things that we keep on when we're walking going, oh, we've seen this, oh, we know this. You guys are lucky to live here. Nothing strange about Central Park being the backdrop of 532 movies, but if there were something strange, who would you call? I'm an avid Ghostbusters fan, so, you know, when we go by the library and I, and I see those lines from that iconic first shot and you see the pillars and everything, you see that building, which has also been in a ton of other stuff as well, but when you see that, for me, that, it takes my breath away. Filming locations for Ghostbusters in New York City also include Columbia University, Hook and Ladder 8, Lincoln Center, and Columbus Circle, where the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man makes his march. Coming up, how will trouble in the Red Sea impact the global supply chain? Our guest today explains why he thinks there are reasons to worry. Is the Biden administration being honest with how the economy is actually doing? Our guest today doesn't think so. Here, his assessment of Americans' finances. Madden. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan met with the president of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. This came as Israeli's military says it accidentally killed three hostages in Gaza. The White House and the Senate are trying to come up with a compromise over Ukraine aid and border security. The Senate hopes to vote on the funding package next week. A jury in Washington, D.C. ordered Rudy Giuliani to pay $148 million in damages in his defamation trial. Two election workers sued him for claiming that they helped rig the 2020 election. Giuliani now plans to appeal. The Houthi rebels in Yemen are intensifying their attacks on cargo ships going through the Red Sea. What will this do to the global economy? To help us understand how vital this shipping lane is, we have Jim Nels, a supply chain consultant and economic analyst. Jim Nels, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Hi, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. To begin, Danish shipping company Maersk is pausing all container shipments through the Red Sea. This is after a missile attack by the Houthi rebels. How big of a deal is this move by Maersk? It's a very big deal. And it's not only Maersk, we're also seeing the German company Hapag Lloyd suspending all shipments as well through the end of the weekend. And they're going to make another decision after that time. It's a very big deal. Approximately $8 to $10 billion of commerce flows through the Red Sea every single day. 8 million barrels of oil flows through the Red Sea every day. And it's a huge obstacle to global trade right now, especially if you consider what's happening in the Panama Canal, which is operating at 50% capacity because of the, the drought that they're having down there. And the Panama Canal is at record low levels. 
So they're having to delay ships and have ships go through with fewer and fewer pieces of cargo on them. So between the Red Sea and the Panama Canal, we're looking at a supply chain crisis that will rival what we saw during COVID. Wow. And on that note, how are global supply chains changing in response to the war in Gaza and the extensions there? And how can we expect to see that continue to change? Well, the, the first thing is that we're very fortunate that the war started in October. If it had started in August, the Houthis would have stolen Christmas because we would have seen delays in shipments for things being transported to the United States and other parts of the world for Christmas uh, purchases. We're kind of fortunate right now that this is a slower time for the economy, but if they close down the Red Sea and we see commerce go through, no longer go through there, what we're going to see are, are ships having to go around the, the uh, Cape of Good Hope around the southern tip of Africa and also around the southern tip of South America as the Panama Canal continues its issues. So we're gonna see delays in the supply chain. What that's also gonna to lead to is congestion at various ports and the ports of the United States are two of the, you know, our busiest ports in the United States are the two worst ports in the world when it comes to efficiency. So any backup there just leads to more and more trouble for the American economy. And now to one of your earlier points, what is the price tag fallout of all of this? Well, again, through the Red Sea, we see between eight and $10 billion a day of commerce go through there. So any delay can lead to more of a global recession that we're seeing, more of a global slowdown. Given the economy that we're seeing in the United States, what we're seeing in, in China and what we're seeing in Europe, we can't really sustain that right now. So we need this to stay open. What we really need to see is the Biden administration take a very bold action, something out of the page book of, say, President Reagan or President Trump. President Reagan, when Iran was doing this in the, um, in the uh, Arabian Gulf, he basically sunk half the Iranian Navy and, and destroyed two of their oil platforms. President Trump, when Iran was doing stuff like this, he dropped the mother of all bombs in Syria to demonstrate to them that we won't tolerate this. I don't want to go to war with Iran. That's the last thing I want. But we need to send a major message to Iran, who backs the Houthis, who are behind all this, that we will not tolerate it, and we're tired of it, and they have to stop or suffer the consequences. Jim Nels, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. How are you feeling about the current state of the economy? Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell tells us not to worry, but economist Jeffrey Tucker sees it the other way. He's joining us now for his assessment of the data. Jeffrey Tucker, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Now, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is saying the U.S. economy is not in a recession, but are we? Um, I feel sure we are, and I think we've been there for the better part of uh, three and a half years, actually. I don't think the recession ever went away from March, um, mid-March 2020 to today, and everything else is kind of fake. And so this is the problem with the claim that the Fed is soft landing the economy. The problem is the economy never took off. Um, and what really alarmed me a couple of days ago is that he's now saying and the Federal Reserve is now broadcasting the idea that they're going to give some more dog treats to Wall Street in the form of rate cuts uh, in the next year, even though inflation is nowhere near conquered. And they really risk uh, actually firing up inflation yet again, like a repeat of the 1970s. Hmm. And now to your point, a recent survey by Bankrate found that 59% of Americans feel the U.S. economy is in a recession. Now, here's a piece 
titled How Social Media Brainwashed You Into Thinking the Economy is Bad. A Financial Times reporter says, yes. What is your reaction to this piece? <laughs> My reaction is the same as every single other person who goes out shopping or has to balance a checkbook month to month. It's, everything is terrible. I mean, the real income is dramatically down. Inflation is appalling. Uh, uh, in, in the U.S., we have a, a store called the Dollar Store, where everything is now $1.25. And I was talking to the cashier last night. And I said, uh, how's the $1.25 going? She said, well, I heard from higher ups that uh, we, we can't make any money at $1.25. So now we're going to be the um, the dollar store that charges anywhere from $1.25 to $100. There's, there's basically no limit uh, to what they're going to be selling all the goods for. So uh, it's over. And, and it was very interesting to hear that from her. So, but essentially, you know, groceries are 30% higher than they were just five years ago. Um, rents are way up. Uh, it's, it's, it's been very difficult. More than half of Americans are living uh, paycheck to paycheck. People are not saving anything. Uh, so it's offensive, essentially, when um, all these big shots are claiming, oh, the economy's good. Uh, look at the data. Everything's great. It's not great on the ground for, for essentially anybody, except for the very, very wealthy. Mm, and on that note, despite what headlines are saying, what is the real state of the economy? In an article on Epic Times, I actually went through the, the granulated data about what's actually happening to things like crackers or um, <clears throat> childcare services or uh, what you have to spend on dog food or you know whatever the thing is. I went through a long list, I listed about 45 items that are still running at anywhere between 6% and 12% inflation. So the reason they're able to drag it down to 3.1 is by the, the way they weight the CPI. That won't surprise you. So it's all about the weighting. But even 3.1, let's not forget, is 50% over the Fed's target. So the idea that Fed has conquered inflation, and by the way, the PPI reflected this um, also. Um, and even if you exclude food and energy, uh, sticky prices, so-called, they're still running 5 and 6% right now. So they have not beat inflation. It's still going up. And for, for uh, Powell to be talking about rate cuts next year is grotesquely irresponsible. And of course, Wall, Wall Street went nuts, like, oh, bye, bye, bye. Everything's going to be wonderful. Um, and maybe they will cut rates. But the great risk of this is it's, it's going to actually accelerate inflation. And we'll get another uh, round in two or three years that will compare to the relationship between 1974 and 1979. So th they're playing with fire right now. And it's not even clear that they even care. And given what you just laid out, what is behind this? How did we even get here? Um, irresponsibility, um, a lack of uh, serious stakeholders, the people who are managing the Fed and Congress together with the presidency and the whole government and uh, Wall Street, too, um, are just not thinking long term. They're not thinking about what makes for prosperity, like how do you get investment? What makes for a prosperous society? It's, it's very strange. There's many aspects of our time that feel like late stage empire. It's like, you know, the ruling class just grabs whatever they can on their way out. That's what it feels like right now. It's, it's grotesquely irresponsible. And all the old wisdom seems to be gone. And, and pe people are just 
taking whatever they can and pursuing grotesquely irresponsible policies. But you only need to look at the national debt to see how how bad this is, plus the savings rates. We are not preparing for the future. We're just taking what we can for the present and saying tech with whatever comes next. It's very sad. Quite a bleak indeed. Jeffrey Tucker, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Coming up, only 10 more days until Christmas. While Christmas music usually brings joy, for some it can also bring sadness. A happiness expert explains why. And in NFL news, is an Aaron Rodgers return imminent? Surprising footage of the four-time MVP practicing for New York was trending on X today. NTD's Dave Martin will join us to discuss when we return. Welcome back. Christmas is just 10 days away. And while the holidays are known as the most wonderful time of the year, for some it can also be a time of difficulty. And Christmas music could actually trigger feelings of sadness. NTD's Dave Martin consults a happiness expert to find out why. Whether it be jingle bells, joy to the world or we wish you a Merry Christmas. Christmas music often elicits strong emotions during the holidays, usually happy emotions but frequently sad ones as well. It reminds them of something or someone or some time in the past. They get nostalgic, they start thinking about the good times. They may think that, oh, I don't have that good time here. Loka Pandya is an expert on joy. He says that feeling sad is actually not a bad thing. And it's good to let those emotions out while also having gratitude. And once you're done with that, Go do something for yourself, you know, go, go do something for yourself, somebody else, do a random act of kindness. Uh, I also people that when you're going back to your childhood, you're thinking about all the fun and the joy that you had. How can you bring that into your everyday? Did you like to sing? Did you like to dance? Did you like to create something? So the key is releasing emotion, but also doing something joyful for yourself. Pandia practices this himself. When he was 13, he lost his mother to suicide. Every now and then, he may listen to some music that helps him let those emotions out and processes them while grounding himself in gratitude, followed by doing something nice for himself. Pandia says that in addition to songs that make you feel sad, there are also plenty that bring joy. It's always a good thing to fill your playlist with them. This is Dave Martin, NTD News. Well, we just heard from Dave Martin, but here he is in person in studio to talk about sports. Now, Dave, quite a night in the NFL as the Raiders scored a franchise record 63 points against the Chargers. Now, just hours later, the Chargers fired their head coach. Was the loss the reason? 
Yeah. We didn't get the reason yet, probably never will. But Brandon Staley, who was the one who was fired, uh, had been rumored to be on the hot seat already. This was probably the final straw, I'm guessing. Now, the team seemed to have talent really on both sides of the ball, yet somehow they had the second worst record in the AFC. They also made a playoff appearance last year, but they blew a 27-point lead to Jacksonville in the loss. It was the third biggest blown lead in playoff history. Now, they also let go of general manager Tom Telesco. This really surprised me. I mean, it didn't seem like the roster talent was the problem. But we don't really know what's happened behind the scenes, of course. Hmm. Well, now elsewhere in the league, Aaron Rodgers was trending on X today with videos of him both running and throwing in practice. Have the Jets announced a return for him yet? No, I'm sure they can't wait, of course. Now, it's unclear how many days he's been throwing and running. I would think he's going to need a full week of practice before they feel comfortable putting him out there in, in an actual game. He also has to be medically cleared for contact. I mean, no one has come back from a torn Achilles this soon, so I'm sure they'll be cautious. Now, he's previously hinted that a week from Sunday is a possible return date if they're still alive. Now, of course, the Jets barely are at 5-8. and eight. They really have to win this Sunday uh, to have any playoff hope and that's going to be difficult because it's at Miami. If they pull off the upset, though, I think next week could be pretty interesting. Now, speaking of the playoffs, it appears longtime TV announcer Al Michaels will not be calling the games for NBC. Do we know what prompted this? No, I mean, there's plenty of rumors. Now, first of all, Al Michaels is one of the most respected and popular TV uh, sports announcers, really, of all time. He's called 11 Super Bowls. I mean, that's tied for the most ever. He's also the one that made the line, do you believe in miracles, when the U.S. hockey team beat the USSR at the 1980 hockey, uh, Olympics. Still one of the biggest upsets and one of the most famous lines. Now, Michaels is currently calling games with Amazon Prime, but he previously was with NBC, and he still has an emeritus title that allowed him to call playoff games last year anyway. Now, there are social media rumors that this is because he may have implied that the Taylor Swift coverage should be kept in moderation, saying, quote, you can't make the sideshow the show. Now, I doubt that's the case, especially given that most sports fans would agree with him. Now, I'll grant she brings in a new crowd when she shows up to watch the Chiefs. Whatever the case, it's not going to be the same without him calling the games, though. Indeed, well now shifting gears to baseball, Shohei Otani was finally introduced by the Dodgers yesterday after signing that massive contract. Did he say what his reasons were for choosing them? You know, he didn't say 100% why, but he said when they told them that even though they made the playoffs every year for the last decade, they consider it a failure because they only have one World Series championship. He said he knew they were all about winning, and that's exactly how he felt. Now, Otani never saw the playoffs with the Angels. In fact, in his six seasons there, they never even finished with a winning record. Now, this was also the first time Otani had addressed the media since, like, August, so there were plenty of questions. Now, he didn't say what teams he met with in free agency, which didn't surprise me. I mean, his whole camp was tight-lipped about that the entire way. He also refused to say what kind of surgery he had on his arm that's going to keep him out all next season. Now, regarding his contract, it's very unique. Of course, 680 of the $700 million uh, is going to be deferred. Apparently, that was brought up by him and his agent to the Dodgers. And then since it's being deferred interest-free, uh, in a way, it does actually help the team out. Wow. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.